everyone. Quick reminder, nothing said on Empire is a recommendation to buy or sell securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our opinions, not financial advice. Santiago and I and our guests may hold positions in the companies, funds, or projects discussed. Now, let's get into the show. All right, everyone. Uh, I'm here today with Amy Wu. Uh, you guys should probably know Amy. Uh, if you guys ever listen to Crypto Podcasts or if you spend any time on Crypto Twitter, um, I hope that you would know Amy. Uh, Amy has an awesome background, uh, Insight Venture Partners, then an operator and CFO at NewsCred, uh, went over to Discovery where she was an exec. Uh, I think in Singapore, CFO of APAC, if I get that, if I got that correct, went over to Lightspeed, led investing in gamer and consumer. And now uh, she's at a really small little startup. You guys might've heard of it, FTX. She's leading venture, uh, maybe also M&A, maybe also commercial initiatives. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, and FTX Ventures uh, launched recently with a $2 billion fund, I'm pretty sure. So Amy, how'd I do there? You did great, Yana. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So Amy, all right, for, we're going to talk all these, all these fun things, metaverse, crypto gaming, all that fun stuff. I have to ask you on the record here while we're recording, you missed the last podcast because you were working until 5am. So understandably, we had to reschedule. I understand. What were you working on until 5am? Well, I'm a bit nocturnal of a person. And so um, my natural hours are just like, you know, I feel like, you know, at night, kind of like post midnight, I'm usually jamming on like emails, everything I need to do. Because like during the day, so many meetings, um, I think every investor kind of experiences that. And I really love like the quiet of the early hours to just get through stuff. So like, you know, I'm usually in the office with a few devs like around those hours and um and it's really awesome like you know at ftx like in the bahamas here like um you know we have about 100 people um at the office and it's kind of cross-functional we've got some folks from customer support and and like kyc aml like um, settlements and then also some engineering and and commercial bd folks here um sam i actually sit across from sam in the office um we're, but i mean our office is actually quite small um and uh and so yeah it's it's feels like a hacker house actually um we always encourage like companies to come out and visit us in the bahamas they can crash in our office and and work out of here for a bit um and there's like people coming in like you know a lot of nocturnal devs and, and myself nice nice that's awesome i'm sure uh, uh man i gotta make a trip down there that sounds like good vibes so it was interesting prepping for this right because there are so many angles that you can go with this we can talk like metaverse crypto gaming like nfts which i think is where, where i want to take this but you also manage this $2 billion fund and I'm assuming you're investing not just in gaming stuff, but like when I think like, oh, Amy, Amy's coming on the podcast, what should we talk about? Also, I just want to start pretty much as high level as possible for you. Just like what is your framework for how you're viewing NFTs, gaming, metaverse? Um, in my mind, those all kind of coalesce around one thing, but you might tell me that you see them completely different. What's your framework for how you view this right now? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's moving so quickly, I would say, um, that, uh, you know, for folks, uh, like myself that are, that have the fortune of really, uh, investing and working pretty deeply in it. Like it, the, the landscape is quite frankly changing almost on a daily basis and certainly on a weekly basis. Um, and I would say that I, um, so for context, you know, um, yeah, I mean, so I'm not, I'm like, you know, heading up our $2 billion venture fund. And so from there we invest in, uh, across a lot of things, like we have multiple investors on the team. I focus a lot on Web3. So I like I am like really deep in like the NFT and um, and gaming worlds, uh, social tokens, etc. You know, others do DeFi and some of the other categories. And um, and then also like, you know, FTX, we have we're growing our gaming business as well. And so um, and we have our NFT marketplace. And so this is a huge part of our operating plan and um, priorities on the FTX side, in addition to ventures. And so we have this really interesting view into what large incumbent like Web2 companies are doing, trying to get into Web3. And for in that, like, we actually are trying to power a lot of that um, transition with FTX. And then we're also investing in new teams that are building natively in Web3 kind of gaming NFTs. And, um, and so it's pretty interesting to see these two parts of the world. So I would firstly, like, there is a separate movement happening in the NFT world and then in the gaming world. And they're like, um, the, the similarity is non-fungible tokens, but I would say the use case and sort of the objectives and vision of some of these projects that are being built um, are quite different. So starting with the NFT side, what we're seeing 
is um, some projects breaking out in building brands, right? So if you think about, um, for example, Board at Yacht Club, um, definitely CryptoPunks, but I would say like projects have evolved um, quite dramatically in the last like nine to 12 months, I would say, or less than that, nine months, right? Pixel Vault was actually only founded, I think, you know, maybe like May of last year. Um, and uh, based what, what some of these, what some of these NFT projects are doing is building essentially a mainstream consumer brand. And, um, and I think aspirations would be like an LVMH or like a Disney and becoming like essentially like a, you're creating very valuable IP and IP that increasingly mainstream audiences know and, um, and are buying. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Cause there's some complications when the floor price is what 250,000, you know, dollars and, and is actually quite inaccessible, right. To a lot of people, but then using that v valuable IP and starting to spin out um, additional businesses from that, um, I find this fascinating. Like we're, we're investing in projects. Like, um, this is like, uh, I think this is, a, absolutely a future model for NFT projects. And there's also a lot of innovation in IP rights, right? So for example, if I own one of these NFTs, like, do I need to give the core project rev share, like for me to do anything with this IP? Can I do whatever I want? Can I actually like create a game with my own like NFT? Um, and I think that like some of these projects like Board Apes have been really experimenting. For example, their framework is you have an ape, you can do anything with that IP. You can create your own merch. And it has not been a paradigm that traditional brands have taken they're very protective of their ip but has done incredibly well for projects like board apes to really proliferate and um extend um, awareness of the brand and so like you know really find that fascinating and then you have like the dow components as well very closely tied with nft projects because these projects are usually founded with a very decentralized you know, ideology. And so, um, you know, they are launching DAOs, um, or, um, or, you know, contributing members are creating DAOs and they're thinking through like, what are the, what are the different like ways of conducting like basically a brand business, like, um, in a DAO format. So I think like so much experimentation and, and innovation going on in, in this space right now. Um, uh, we're super excited to follow that. We're very excited to invest. And so, you know, we'll love to continue, um, meeting projects that are in the space. I would say there's like, we need more projects and more, um, you know, teams that are trying to build the next brands what there is an overabundance of are picks and shovels businesses in this space. I understand the interest of teams to create that. However, I think there's something like a thousand NFT marketplaces right now, if not more. And, um, and marketplaces, um, have, um, you know, their flywheel businesses, maybe less so in web three, but like certainly, um, like, you know, there's not going to be a thousand successful NFT marketplaces. There might not even be 10 at the, like, you know, right. I mean, the nature of marketplaces says there should be two, right. Or maybe three. Yeah. And you, it's weird. It's weird. You actually, I, I, I actually thought that you would see this earlier with centralized exchanges, right? Like if you look at like ride sharing, you've got like Uber and Lyft. If you look at uh, collectibles, you've got eBay. If you look at um, homes, you've got Airbnb, maybe like VRBO. When you look at, uh, I, I, I actually thought that we were going to see like a consolidation, big more consolidation in centralized exchanges than we've seen in the past. Uh, like I thought by 2022, we would have like FTX, maybe Coinbase and Kraken and Gemini and Binance and a couple others. There's still like hundreds of these things. Yeah, but if you look at volumes, it pretty much is like consolidating. It is consolidating. Yeah. yeah, and will increasingly be so. I mean, there's like a very steep off um, from like the top, let's call it like five exchanges. Um, if you include like, you know, spot and derivatives volumes, like very steep. Um, and so I think the top five probably make up, I don't even, I don't know what the latest is right now. Right, I, you right. know, what it is like 90% of volumes, like, um, or like 80%, like it's, it's something like it's the majority of volumes. Yeah. So this is interesting that you need more like um, more of the board apes, right? Who are almost creating IP around this. And like, I guess you could make the comparison of board apes to like Supreme. I know you mentioned like LVMH. LVMH is obviously one of the largest, uh, like largest brands in the world. And so I, I don't think like board apes is there yet, but obviously they're trying to do that. And I, I, I think like Supreme. Is, yeah. Yeah. You got to start some, you got to start somewhere though, right? You got to start somewhere. When you think about 
you obviously have to put on your, I think a lot of folks maybe who are listening to this or on crypto Twitter are approaching it from their, um, either like a retail investor lens or just like an artist and like a collector lens, right? Maybe from a collector lens is the best way to look at it. When you're looking at it though, with your investor head on, how do you determine like, oh, this brand, this NFT project is going to create the next Supreme or LVMH, right? Yeah, it starts with the um, core team and their vision. It really starts there. Like I think um, there's a lot of people... Yeah, I'm, and, and I'm not saying like any of it is like a wrong approach. Like, I think it's like awesome for artists to like want to create a collection and um, it's a work of passion. It is like arts, right? And that's very different than wanting to create a brand um, and different aspirations and playbook. And so we're, um, as, a, as a venture investor, we're looking to back the ladder. Um, I think as kind of like, NFT investors, you could actually be investing in all of the above, like the the motivations of the founder probably like less important other than the fact that like, you know, hopefully they're, we need to know that they are supportive, supporting the project. Um, But I think in terms of trying to build a business around it, and also what type of business decentralized one um, on the spectrum of like decentralization, right? Or centralization, like th- that's, um, and how do you want to do it? Do you want to actually create a media business in a house? Do you want to actually completely outsource like, um, and, uh, and license, it's like a pure licensing business. The IP is what has value like in these businesses right now. And, um, and so this is like, uh, understanding the motivations, the vision, the, um, the playbook is, um, the strategy is where like I'm focusing a lot of time. It feels like basically one thing that you can kind of keep coming back to as the underlying thesis behind crypto is that we're not doing things that differently. We're almost just speeding up the, we're just speeding things up by like a factor of like 10 or hundred, right? Like if you look at just how financial markets were created in crypto versus traditional capital markets, we're, we're recreating a lot of capital markets right now. We're just yeah. doing it really, really quickly. And I think you're starting to see that with gaming, which obviously I want to talk to you about too, um, right? Traditionally, it takes like five to seven years to build a good game. I'm curious, one of the things we'll talk about later is like, does crypto 10x that or do you still need five to 10 years? I think my question here is like with NFTs to create something like Supreme or create like LVMH, I don't, I don't actually know this, but like it feels like a hundred year brand to me. I don't know when they were actually created. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. On the gaming side, um, yes, it takes years to create a great game, uh, depending on the genre, right? You can create a casual mobile game, let's say, and like, I don't know, six months. Like six Wordle months. or whatever this Yeah. Thing, um, yeah. Uh, there's no shortcuts to making a yeah. great game. Like there, there really isn't. Um, I think crypto will like help with user acquisition and um, retention, and also like deepen your game economy, open your game economy, allow ownership of assets. Um, but speed up game creation, it does not. Um, and I think like um, people are really trying to like launch their games as soon as possible. But it's like you actually. Like, you know, I, as an investor, it doesn't faze me for a gaming team or, you know, Web3 web gaming team to, like, say, like, yeah, we're going to be building this for the next two years. So, like, that's great. Like, I think it took, like, Slim and um, at, uh, you know, at Riot, um, like, seven years to build Valorant. Like, and uh, and it was worth the time. I mean, it's such an amazing game, right? Um, such a deep one. And it, there's no shortcuts with that. Like, you know, I was an investor in Splitgate, um, which, uh, which had a spectacular kind of, like, um, like phase two, like launch out of beta and, um, yeah, it took them five years. Like, um, and that's like pretty common because like typical games are so much deeper, like on the AAA side than, than your, um, than at least a current, like casual, like play to earn game is right now. Um, again, like casual games are a great form factor, whether it's match three, I haven't really seen that yet. Match three, like web three game, but certainly a lot of people are doing like auto battlers and, um, and like, uh, and like CC, CCG type games. And those are probably like a little bit faster to build. You can do it within a year and, um, could also be great genres for, for crypto. Uh, let, let's get into gaming. I mean, you, you, you strike me as someone who just seeing your smile and your passion talking about these games as someone who's not just investing in them, but actually plays them as well. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong there, but um, I think that one thing, I mean, obviously you've played a lot of these games. The, uh, like I, I started playing like Axie, right? Decent user experience. Not, I think, you know, everyone kind of knows it's not like the best game in the world. Uh, and then one thing that was kind of like mind blowing for me was playing DeFi Kingdoms, um, which was, again, honestly, not that great of a game, but the game for me became DeFi 
inside of the game, right? The game was like, okay, I can go farm, I can go get yield, I can go, I can do, go do, I can go on these quests, right? I can actually, I bought my player, costs like a decent chunk of change, but it's an NFT. So now the game and and Kyle from Multicoin, uh, no, it was Tushar from Multicoin talked about this on a podcast the other day. Like the game becomes optimizing yield, which is fun at least to some people like me, it's really fun, but it's a completely different game. Yeah, I think it's niche. Like, I think there's like, um, like a, a percentage of people who um, they find the fun, like every game finds the fun. And in some of these cases, they found it. It just happens to be that that fun is optimizing yields. And um, I consider them games because like, again, like right. grinding for minerals is also part of a game is that fun like i don't know like it's a meaning behind it that's fun right like um like in an mmo like and so i think this is a category i think this is a interesting like web3 created genre of of gaming um that will continue to, to persist and i think like there's like yields guilds um like guilds will be like kind of created around that um and uh and that will con- continue to persist but this is I think a niche category, like, and um, the two billion gamers in the world are um, playing like casual mobile games and um, and other and you know shooters and other genres. Yeah, how far are we from having games that are like fun and honestly addictive? Right, I used to game a bunch. The, the reality is these games are pretty damn addictive. How far are we from having games that are like Web three native that are both fun and addictive? So a lot of them are in. Built, you know, are being built right now, right? And so I think yeah. for the end of this year, there's going to be a few like really exciting projects launched by some of the biggest gaming companies in the world, right? They're going to be like launching kind of like either like a forked version of their of an existing game that they have that's already popular, or um, you know, dropping NFTs and embedding NFTs into existing popular games. Like you'll be seeing that increasingly. I don't think like Ubisoft and other, like, I think like those are like kind of first forays into this, but generally, um, like we're in conversation with most of the biggest gaming companies in the world, like the, the CEOs and the executives in these, in these companies generally like are excited about the, um, the innovative power of like NFTs tokens and, um, and they have been studying it and they've been thinking about how to organically and um and uh you know sort of launch projects in the space like not as money grabs because gamers like can tell a difference immediately between money grab and, and something that's really like created with care and thought um but and and like and then there's like studios with like amazing like stellar kind of like triple a backgrounds um or or like deep like mobile gaming backgrounds that are creating these as well um that like like a timeline of anything from like 12 to like 36 months kind of launch right like is um yeah these games take a long time to build yeah what's the approach to investing in these kind of so like when i think about people who are going to market with this right now you've kind of got like the specific games you've got like alluvium and like defy land and ember sword and guild of guardians and those kind of things like this is going to be a massive massive year for tier one crypto games coming online right but then you've you've got like another strategy which is like these almost uh houses like gaming houses that are being created like um gala games and like animoca and things like that and then you've got um it's going to be from the other direction right where you just mentioned you're talking to all the big studios i'm assuming all the big studios want to get into this they just want to do it in the right way right once axie hit that was the impact of axie once axie hit every single game studio had to at least understand this stuff and so what is the right approach uh, from an investing uh, from from putting your VC hat on, like, are you investing in the game? Are you investing in the studio? Are you trying to like get in bed with the traditional studio who's now getting into crypto? What what is that approach? Um, you mean the different approaches, or like from from builders? No, I think like from an investing lens. From, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of opportunities to invest. Um, like generally, my thesis around um, <clears throat> crypto gaming investing is not that different from just traditional gaming investing, you know, um, which is like it's an incredibly hit driven business. And you can drive like temporary traffic to your game by heavily incentivizing them um, with NFTs or tokens and um, airdrops, et cetera. But that will not there's no longevity in just that. Right. You need the actual engagement in the actual gameplay. I mean, like there are, um, and in if you look at, there's probably like there's north of ten thousand games that launch on Steam a year. There are so many games that launch in a year, and uh, most of them just like 
don't get any traction and um, or they get temporary traction they can't maintain it and there's like a handful of games that defy gravity and are able to become like you know played and and get millions of players in like kind of a couple of years span let alone like 10 years span like in eve online or like um some of these big nmos like um world of warcraft like the diablo um uh franchise like basically creating franchises right and um, COD, et cetera. And, um, and so like, as an investor, I, you know, I, I love to invest in some like two dozen gaming studios, um, whether some of them are spin outs from like existing incumbents um, that are excited about Web3 or like um, indie studios that are spinning out. I think those can move faster in a lot of times, but not necessarily from like the conversations I've been having from with like large publishers. Um, and, uh, and then you just hope that like a few of them will like do well. Maybe you have like one or two hits from like two dozen investments, right? Like that is sort of, it's like the most power law dynamic, like success, like, and, um, and I think like, um, with Web3 games and the rise of that in last year, like there is a huge influx of capital into gaming suddenly. And I think a lot of learning of like what it takes to succeed and create a hit, it's really difficult to build a game. And as a gaming investor, I've also experienced like, you know, you have a hit, like um, you, um, they, the, they have a massive spike in users when they, when they launch um, but if you didn't have the know-how, if you launched a free-to-play game to actually um, operate, live operate, create content, like um, you, you will as quickly lose like 10 million players as you will have gained them. And, um, and so the, the knowledge necessary is like extremely deep and people generally don't just like figure this out from scratch. Like, I think it takes an extraordinary team to figure that out. And that was Riot, basically, like the founders, like actually didn't have a gaming background. Um, but um, they were just, I mean, they were extraordinary founders. And then, um, and so like experience, game design experience, if you're building a free to play game, like live ops experience, these are all things that like, either like I would want to find on the founding team or something that they are keenly aware they need to um, bring in house. Right. One thing that strikes me as different, though, from traditional gaming and crypto gaming is there are just more options to invest in crypto, right? Like if I if I want to invest, I see like a runaway game or something like that. I'm going to try to find who's who's behind it, right? Whether it's like Sony, Tencent, uh, Nintendo, Microsoft, Blizzard, EA, Epic, etc. Right. And I'm going to invest in that that maker. In crypto, you can buy the in-house NFTs. You can buy the token of the game. You can buy the token of the studio. You can buy it's equity the, in the studio. Yeah. It's so true, actually. And it's interesting. Um, we kind of do um, some of all, all the above, but primarily we're equity investors because I think, you know, in sort of like the traditional, like, um, art of like, venture investing, these projects want are looking for long-term alignments, right? And supporters and people who will be there with them as they're thinking through critical um, critical junctions in their decision-making, when to start a second game, like, um, et cetera. And so um, the most value add is to invest as equity investors and like really be along for the ride, like long-term, but along the way, you're totally right. We're definitely looking at the different areas. Like we can market, make their token, you know, um, at, um, at FTX and we can like, you know, like list, um, we can do token listings. We can invest in the NFTs and do, um, and a lot. Um, and so those are definitely all avenues that we can deepen relationships. Yeah. Gaming has always been the, like the thing that, clicked for me in a way maybe that's just because i used to play games as a kid and like i remember playing halo a bunch and like getting to you know level 50 and then i got my like little skulls and i got my unique armor and then i could never take it out of the game when i went and played call of duty and like i just maybe it just i think it clicks for people um this basically composability and just the uh, like interoperability of these games right i can do one thing in one game and then i can take the skins and i can i won't lose the value in that game i can take the value somewhere else when you see something like um, like Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft's making some ac massive acquisitions in the gaming space. They're creating, they're going to create this big interoperable world where you've got all the best games are inside of one place. And you could see a world where they actually create interoperability between all of these games. Does that concern you? Do you think that world ends up getting bigger than crypto for the next decade? And then it takes a long time, but crypto games overtake it eventually. Like, how do you see these like the, 
interoperability of Microsoft games playing in with the interoperability of these crypto games, if that makes sense. Gaming companies have long thought about interoperability, right? Like Activision Blizzard has long had the portfolio of um, games where they can basically have like a sword, and which they actually have, right? Like was it Thunder Fury? Like sword is like exists in a couple of their games. So when, when you talked about interoperability, there's like a, do you actually just, let's say I have um, some gun in one um, Activision game that I want to play in another one or or um, let's like let alone like another studio. Like first, like were were the two games both like coded in Unreal Engine? Um, and uh, and so if it's not, if it's one's in Unity, one's in Unreal, like okay, well, how does that work in terms of porting over the game assets? And then let's say you solve that, you can you can actually um, replicate the visual, like the art of that object, right? You can call the same thing, but it could have completely different power and and everything in another game and so you basically had interoperability from like a um from like a um item perspective but it's not the same asset like are you actually taking this literally the same item from one game to another so then when you do that like how does that work like do you um uh the, that that impacts the game economy of the second game, like what are the powers imbued to that item? Like, you know, much easier is like you have a skin, you have like a shirt for your avatar. Like interoperability of avatars like probably makes sense. But again, I would say like probably you're porting over the image of that avatar potentially. And then like, and then that that avatar would have be subject to a, m like many different rules for this new game. And so there's a lot of shades of gray and interoperability. I think it's super exciting. It's actually hard on the tech side. I think there needs to be like primitives built to facilitate mm. this transfer, of like different assets actually, like um, parts of like one gaming item, like to have interoperability. And so there's uh, definitely um, opportunity there for builders who want to build in that. And, um, and then you have like, in web three games interoperability like just even having a game cross chain is something that is like really hasn't been like you know having having right? anything cross chain it appears yeah. is uh, a little harder than people thought exactly so i think like there's a lot of challenges there um that which all is like separate from okay now like you know microsoft has this like one of the best like collections you know game collections in the world now right if not the best um um it's pretty much them or like versus Tencent, I think. And, uh, and then, you know, it's amazing for game pass. It's like an absolute coup. Like they could do a lot with it, like in terms of subscription pricing and access to games. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, but I think it will take them years to like integrate like the teens fully. Um, and, uh, but I think really looking forward to seeing like what Microsoft is going to do with their portfolio of like tremendous, like games now. Um, and that's very different from, I think, like just uh, Web3 games achieving interoperability within like one hood, uh, you know, versus like across different games. So just to make sure I fully understand the argument then is like that it's easier, that it, that it just becomes easier to create interoperability when you're essentially just building on one database. Is that right? Like the database being ETH or Solana or something like that. And that hypothetically, yeah, Microsoft owns all of these things, but they're built on an entirely different stack. Yeah, exactly. Different stacks, like basically different stacks, even within one studio. Like, you know, Activision Blizzard, I think each of their, um, each of their games are, um, are kind of like, you know, have kind of the, uh, have their back end. And sometimes these studios, for example, Supercell, like the way that there's each of their studios are set up is that they have like a lot of autonomy. Um, however, I, I do think like, and I was just talking with, um, like a friend yesterday, um, who's like a gaming exec who's talking about like, you know, they have like a few dozen studios within, um, within their kind of like, th um, the company and talking about like how, um, they're thinking about building a gaming platform in which you can actually push out different game mechanics, different mini games, et cetera, across different games in a much more like A-B testing iterative way. And like, then that is like, I think the precursor step to interoperability. I mean, you could say that is, um, but, th but the core um, challenge is the technology one. Did this interesting episode last week with this guy, Tom, Tom Um from Jane Street. And we were just talking about like the financial market stack, right? Like who, who owns the back end? What is the back end? Who owns the middleware? What is the middleware? Who owns the front end? What is the front end? Obviously front end's kind of like less of a moat than a lot of the other things, but what is the crypto, what is the gaming stack right now? Like who, who ha, is this like a, 
Like where does Immutable X and like Forte and like all these things, like companies I see in the news and things like that, like what is the back end and what is the middleware and what is the front end here? Well, obviously the front end's the game, but... The front end's the game, um, and then there's like the game engine um, dictating like the game core, like gameplay. Um, and uh, but then in the Web three side, like um, there's a couple of things to consider. Um, like there is like you know, do you want to do you want to go the non custodial route or like the custodial route or something in the middle where you want both? And um, so when you're like a large gaming company, you're publicly traded gaming company, like you will want like they're pretty much required if they want to go into crypto to KYC users, for example. Right. And um, if you're a small studio and um, and like you're really not going to be under anyone's like watch, at least in, while you're like small, um, the, the something like a KYC a user, for example, in certain cases, like will actually slow you down in terms of traction. So how do you like get around that? This is an area that for example, at FTX, we were like closely watching, exploring, like how do you like how do we stay completely compliant while also um, not um, uh, while reducing as much like player friction as possible, like for these gaming studios. And so, um, like in terms of the infrastructure, like, you know, what are the things to consider? First of all, you need a wallet and that can be custodial or non-custodial. And, um, that wallet is going to hold any sort of crypto assets, right? Whether it's an in-game token eventually launched or, um, you know, basically fungible and non-fungible assets. And, um, and that is, and those, those will be sort of held and um, on a blockchain of like a gaming studio's choosing. So like for us, FTX, like we're chain agnostic. We can work with a number of different chains. Like in some cases, like Immutable X, like they have partnered with Starkware. And so um, that's the chain that you're going to get with them, like at least for now. Um, and uh, I think like Forte also is um, chain agnostic as well. Um, and, and others uh, have their own sort of decision. I think Gallup, I think some might have their own chain that they're trying to build and like you know if there's Ronin for example like Axie Infinity in the future if they have like third party games building on it we'll probably want them to use Ronin for example um and so for FTX so like basically like on our product side on if you're a gaming company that wants to like do anything web3 we can provide everything except for the blockchain um and uh, and so like depending on which vendor infrastructure and vendor it is like they will provide different parts of that stack, right? Mm. So, um, and um, I think a lot of people have wallets, like we do custodial wallet, we do non-custodial wallet integration, and then they can like facilitate a primary, secondary NFT trading as well. We have our NFT marketplace that can be fully white labeled. Like um, we also have like, you know, licensing, crypto uh, fiat on-ramps, like compliance, there's all of that. And then, um, and so I think there's, but the devil is completely all in the details, right? So if you think about like a gaming studio is thinking through, okay, well, I want my player to have as seamless of experience as possible. I already have accounts with my game. And then if I my player creates an account, then that tees up a crypto wallet on the back end. As a player, I don't need to even deal with crypto. Like I, I can just play the game. I don't want to think about the fact that my, my in-game currency is a token. I don't need to think about it. You know, like, um, and, and I think like in the next two years, um, if like, as these like larger gaming companies are launching, um, you know, web three versions of their games, the, I actually think it's possible the vast majority of the players won't do anything with their crypto assets, which is why, like I mentioned, the game, the game fi element is, is, is a niche part of the audience, actually. Like, um, the, the much larger gamer population doesn't know anything about crypto, is skeptical about it, is worried about it, and doesn't really want to think about it. They just want to play a fun game. And so, um, and so I actually, um, am hugely bullish on gaming studios that want to obfuscate, like, some of these elements of crypto to provide the safe gaming experience. And then for segments of their audience who do want to trade their nfts and trade tokens etc like are totally free and flexible to do it maybe through a dex maybe through like ftx exchange what you know whatever is the integration path that they want they choose to go down um but like it's like how you implement the crypto is actually where um a lot of the thinking needs to be if i'm reading between the lines here you've got like okay you've got the Back end is like the blockchain, right? So you've got like Solana or ETH or whatever. The front end is the gaming. Uh, FTX, compliance, KYC, the wallet, NFTs, uh, on and off ramps, exchanges. That FTX can cover the entire stack, right? The entire middleware stack. 
And do you think that FTX's gaming business could actually be bigger than its markets business? Which seems crazy, but like when you look at the revenues of like like Sony, I'm going to get these wrong, but I feel like the range is probably 25 million and like 10 cents probably like their gaming revenue is probably like 15 billion or billion, not million. Like these companies are in like the tens to 30 of billion in gaming revenue. Could FTX's gaming business be larger than its markets business? I mean, it's possible. I will say that like, you know, our, our, like, you know, we're not game makers, right? Like, I think what we are is we, um, we are really great at like facilitating crypto transactions and having like, we think like world-class product to do so. Um, so if you're like, somebody's going to like buy a token or buy an NFT and trade that and list that, like, that's where like the infrastructure side is where we really excel. And then, um, you know, and then also just like being the most compliant, like we like to think company do so. I mean, last year we spent a billion dollars on licensing. Um, you know, there's very few companies that like um, else who have done that in crypto. And this is licensing that we acquired um, or built out across the globe in like over 160 countries. And so um, like, I think that um, do we want to, we, we think that like in a future world, with mainstream crypto adoption, where like many companies are embedding crypto transactions in some way, like, and if we can power like a meaningful fraction of that, that can be bigger than our, that can absolutely be bigger than our exchange business. And of that, like, you know, gaming, um, we think is one of the most exciting and interesting categories. Um, because I mean, like, I think last year there was like $200 billion of like, you know, in game and game spend. Um, and if it's a fraction of that is going to be like crypto related. And actually, we think that crypto will actually increase the size of that pie significantly, or has the has the capability of and, um, and if we can be a part of that from the transaction side, like, yeah, it could be a really a huge business for us, like really exciting. And I think we're positioned well, to do so. What what else outside of gaming is going to be big there for FTX? I didn't. I think you guys did a deal with StockTwits, if I remember correctly. Yep. So in terms of like powering crypto transactions on the back end, um, uh, the uh, right now like lots of um, fintechs and um, are looking at how to actually create a um, the ability for their users to um, to trade crypto, like buy or sell. And, um, and these are some of these fintechs have like, you know, tens of millions of users right now that either like they're serving them with like stocks or, you know, like, like Revolut and N26s exactly. and Monzo. And we would love to be their partner to power the crypto side. Um, hmm. And, um, you know, I think like we could do so in a very, there's a lot of different players that can do that. And I think like the exchange though, um, the hat is a source of liquidity. And so we could do it in a more cost effective way for these partners, like than um, almost any other partner they could go with. And you come with the licenses too. And yeah. with the licenses. Yeah. Ba back to the gaming side of things. Like one thing that strikes me as maybe not a good model is like, I, I know everyone's really excited about play to earn, but it feels like play to earn can extend into like pay to play, which extends into like pay to win and pay to win becomes very bad, right? And pay to win might be like, oh, there's this like almighty sword and the sword costs a million dollars. And like, okay, I'm CMS or like, I don't know, three arrows or something. And I come in and I like buy the almighty sword and I crush everybody. Like that ruins the game, right? And I think like there's pay to have power and influence. And that you see that all the time in games, like pay to in, pay to have power to in, and influence. And that's fine. But pay to win is really, really bad. How do games where real money is involved here for the first time ever like how do you how do you stop that from happening yeah it's interesting because um pay to win pay for power are mechanics that have like existed in games i guess like, money has so always long. been in games what am i talking yeah, about exactly. yeah money yeah. yeah 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 and um like really web three um what is it doing it's allowing on the nft side allows people to own their assets like truly own like you don't own a spaceship that is owned by the gaming company you like you know you actually own that asset that you can pour out of the game like and then two it opens the economy these are really actually the two biggest like differentiation yeah. right like a game o ownership and an open economy yeah game economies are yeah. closed right in fact like if you're like netties and you're um like you know you're or like whatever you know you're a gaming company that has like 
um, operated MMOs for like a long time. Like you're like basically an expert in balancing different economies that you're introducing to your your game, and and suddenly like an open economy, um, like because you can people can trade that token like uh, freely adds complexity. It lo- it reduces the levers that you have to balance this artificial economy you've created in your game. And so it's very mm-hmm. difficult and complex and gaming game economists are like having a lot of fun, like thinking through like how to um, optimize this because on the one hand you can expand the economy. Suddenly you now have like a much more fine tuned um, instrument to allow, like, for example, if I'm a gamer, I want to spend like $2 million into this game. Like today I can't do that in almost any case. Like, and also like, you know, with artificial economy building that also creates like weird incentives and then games very quickly iterate that out and correct the, um, the balance in the game. But like with an open economy, you could really devastate like, um, a, a, um, like a whole class of items that gamers had spent like, you know, hundreds of hours grinding to, to like, um, to like own and then really piss off like so many players. So it becomes a lot more complex. So these are the different things that like, um, people are thinking about, but in terms of like pay for power, for example, like something that, um, has historically been in a lot of like Eastern games. And it turns out that a lot of Chinese players like don't mind paying for power. Like some of the, um, and a lot of these games like cycle through pretty quickly. And then there's like a new version of it. And there's just different like game modes pay for like, I think, um, sorry, this is pay to win pay for power. There's like a lot, there's like so many different versions of that. And like the perfect game basically allows some degree of pay for power. Like as in like, I can pay $10,000 or something like that for some like strategy game. And I can like level myself and accelerate the leveling up to a certain point. But if I want to basically be in the top, like 10% or 20%, like it is completely skill-based. I just become at like um, I now have the items and the ships or whatever, like to compete against like the best um, to th- the best players, but like um, who have maybe grinded thousands of hours in the game. But like I will not be great without the right strategy or skill set. And pay for power is like a very common part of like most strategy, like forex, um, like you know um, RPG games, like almost all of them. I'm right. say. Like um, and actually, it's only like kind of Western free to play um, shooter games, like a. Uh, um, or like, you know, like a MOBA is like League of Legends, Fortnite that has no components like that and is skin based entirely. I feel like I hear a lot of arguments where it's like pay, uh, play to earn kind of hurts like play for the love of the game. But you're like, look, there's always been money inside of games. Like we just need to yeah. figure out better. Uh, so it depends on your definition for what, what that is. Like um, I don't think play to earn is a monetization strategy. I think it is a user acquisition strategy that people are deploying. Like what is play to play to earn has been associated with this act of like, yeah, like launching in-game token so that people can actually play the game and earn tokens and, and NFTs. Um, but like, honestly, like, play to earn i mean like i can play diablo and i can grind and i get a lot of gold and i can get items that's also play to earn it's just like how do you define that right and for crypto i think of like playing for tokens and nfts as like um a just like it's like similar to like what people have been doing before except now i can own it um now i can trade it but the difference is also now that like you can get you can get like real, real, I hate the word like real money, but like, cause so you can for- afford that, right? Because like, for example, Valve, um, and, and mm-hmm. Blizzard also have their auction houses and, um, and in-game marketplaces, True. um, and you know, Tarkov like marketplace. Um, and then there's all, and then a lot of games actually Tarkov actually has, for example, um, a lot of gray market where people are trading, exchanging items like outside of the game because they haven't facilitated, like in some cases, like these games haven't facilitated player to P2P like trading. Um, and so like, in fact, when play to earn came out, a lot of us were like, oh my God, it's basically just like the golds, like the, uh, um, like the gray market, the gold gray market, like grinding business where like, you know, players in emerging markets are grinding for gold and then giving it to like you know, a, like a Western wild player who's trying to play like competitively, except that there's like a form more formalized, like, you know, there's, this is just like the Axie scholars. Yeah, like exactly. this is uh there's yeah, like a scholar huh. system and it's just replaced. It's more legitimizes what was like a gray market before. If you extend this out like five to 10 years, um, 
you know a million times more than I do about gaming, but like what I'm hearing is like if all this stuff works is like and like play to earn works and all this stuff actually works, right? Then and like some people use this as like their job, right? Um, and like they're playing ten different games and they're making more money. Like in that with the Axie Philippines example, obviously is the one that really took off here. Are we just creating this like utopia? right? Where people are just playing games and making money and like no one's working. And cause that's what it sounds like to me. And look, that's not a bad thing, but like, where, where am I, what am I missing here? I guess. I always think of gaming as like an entertainment category and, a, um, and, a, and like, a um, something that people do for fun and also to derive a lot of meaning. Um, you know, like they, they, they make funds in the game, um, friends in the game, sorry. And like, and like, yes, they can actually make like earn a living. I think like it's going to be, I, I don't really see a future in which like people in Western markets can actually make a living with like gains. I think like, um, in this metaverse vision in which like people have digital jobs and getting and creating value and, I don't like, you know, and, and actually having these jobs like that, I can see potentially completely supplementing revenues in emerging markets. You could probably supplement the revenues. But I think one problem is like inevitably um, like you're at odds, like the more players, for example, actually the more players there were that were just like driving salaries, right? The more people you needed to balance that economy by like putting money into the game. And so you needed like, like you, you needed multiples of like Western players that are actually like paying for the actual right. dollars, right? And so, like inevitably, the bigger your game gets, actually, like people are earning less overall. But for most games, you want that because you want maximum players in the game. And the way that your gaming company you own you earn money is that people are spending in game. That's actually how you earn money. And um and anyone who's earning money from a living purpose, like like that, that's a, that's like most value extracting like the, these yeah, people are taking yeah. revenues out of the game and so um I, that's why like i think like um listen if i'm gonna play cod and i can play cod and like grind for like nfts like in terms of fun game like i'm probably gonna do that <laughs> instead of like not earning anything but like will it be my supplemental income probably not right oh my god i completely agree with this take amy i'm glad that you voiced this i i, I kind of feel like this like idea of um or what it sounds like you're saying is like this idea of like okay like all these crypto games are going to be so big and the economics are going to be so different that um that people are just going to do this for a living and what it sounds like you're saying is like look just like in the way that DeFi is like not that different from TradFi, except it's just a better technology and better systems like gaming is still going to be gaming and it's entertainment and people are gonna there's gonna be like hardcore users and power laws of games and things like that and it's just like an improvement upon technology but you're not fundamentally like reimagining how society looks well so i think like where people start talking about like what is the potential metaverse right like that you could actually hold like you're creating actual value in the digital world. So like maybe like um, companies completely run remotely. Like, you know, they're all sitting in the digital world. You're selling like software to each other. Um, and it's like this intersection of like IRL and digital. And um, and maybe all of this is like being encompassed in a quote unquote game or like metaverse company. And you're driving a salary from that. Like that's earning a living. I think like purely fun like games in the, in the classic definition of that, like is for entertainment value and like social yeah. value. Right. And people are spending well, like two and a half hours per day, like playing Roblox, like their users are, I mean, people spend like, you know, like up like a few hours a day in entertainment. So this can be a very large part of people's lives. It just doesn't need to be like all of their lives in order for it's, this to be massive. Any concern from your end that these gaming guilds get too much power, too much influence over the token economics, too much influence over the the power users, anything like that? Yeah, um, I I'm not worried because like for now at least, I think that um, there's like a few different types of guilds. There's like the Axie Infinity guilds, like YGG and others, like play to earn guilds, right? That have come up like with the scholar model, and I would say like the largest guilds have like what 20,000 players like the largest games have like 150 million players they are a tiny fraction of of like you know and i think that's where like people think that there's so much opportunity for these gaming guilds but i think that um finding finding the assets like my concern with those guilds is that like um are there other games outside of like axie in which like you can really derive enough economics to supplement income, which is how these like guilds work. And, um, and like, I think there needs to be more play to earn games that have really 
thought about their um, economics and um, tokenomics for that and NFTs like to, for that to work right now. There's not that many assets to buy other than Axie still, right? Like in terms of like um, paying scholars. And, um, and so I think like that the guilds will become um, more like stronger when there's more asset and game diversification. And then like, yeah, they can make or break like game fi apps. But like, I think like, like these big like like mmos and um or like mini royale like right like for example one of our investments that have created they have like their their man they're helping like create their own guild system and guilds have been part of like mmos for like the last 20 25 years i would say um 20 years and um and that will um those will continue it's basically like organized players right and competing against each other um it's very it's deeply social and i'm super bullish on guilds because they have been successful for and that in that definition because they've been successful for 20 years yeah one of my takeaways from this episode is a lot of these things have already existed like play to earn and gaming guilds these are not new concepts that crypto folks introduced these have been around for a long time um last question for you amy what are one or two or three games that you're super excited about to see launch this year that we should have our eyes on oh well okay so right now queued up my list is lost ark which actually isn't a crypto game but um is a uh but like i you know i think like it's taken up the gaming community by storm and i'm really excited to put some hours into that and um I am, yes, I've been playing a lot of like mini Royale right now. Uh, it's like really fun to play kind of like portfolio company game. And Alex Paley, the founder is awesome. And he's going to be launching um, the land strategy part of his game. Like the shooter part is already live. Yeah. And they did a good job. Mini Royale did a good job of like being a game and then introducing NFTs. They did a really good job. Into the game, like communicating with their fan base or the, with their users. I think that that's a good example of what some traditional games should look at as like a way to introduce crypto to your users. People should absolutely t- um, like take a look at their playbook and how they did it. I think they did it really well and was super inclusive with their community and um, and people really embraced it in the community. Amy, you're the best. This was an awesome episode. I know you got to jump. So thanks again for coming on Empire. Thanks. Take care.